I'm going to tell a story. But first, I just want to look around, gauge the room. That's um, no, really cool, really cool. It's like every, you know, every week since uh, since we weren't able to gather, it's, it it just feels like such a privilege to be able to uh, to gather again and, and to see to see people. I actually heard on Friday that in California, churches aren't allowed to sing anymore. So even the fact that we can sing on a Sunday morning is quite. It's amazing, isn't it? So, just so grateful for uh, that we can live in a live in a country um, without uh, fear of COVID at the moment, with COVID nineteen, and that we can gather as a church family. It's so cool. So, um, once upon a time, once upon a time, there was a man, and he was he was a rich man. He was a nobleman, and and he decided he was going to go away to a far country and uh, to get a kingdom, and then he was going to come back. And before he went away, he got his servants together. There was uh, 10 of them, and he got them all together, and he gave them each a bunch of cash. It was a fairly, you know, a pretty fair amount of cash. It was enough. Um, it was about if someone was working for four months, um, that it was that amount of cash, four months worth of cash. And then he told these servants, guys, go do business with this money. Go do business with this money while he was away. And... Um, and then he and he heads off, but meanwhile the citizens of his country hated him, like absolutely hated his guts, and they sent a, a delegation after him, uh, saying we don't want this man to be king over us. But um, but he did return, unfortunately for them. So he did return, and he returned as king. And and then he wants to know how things went for his servants. You know, he'd given them a whole lot of money, told them to engage in business. Well, what have you done? What have you done with the money I've given you? And the first servant came up to him. And he goes, boss, I took that money, and I made 10 times more money. And the, um, and the king, he was really stoked. He goes, well done, good and faithful servant, um, because you've been faithful with a small amount of money, well, four months' worth of work, which is not that small. But anyway, you've been faithful with this amount of money. I'm going to uh, give you authority over, over 10 of my cities. And then the second servant came up to him and said, king, I've made five, I've made five times more money with the money that you've, uh, that you've given me. And the king said, well, I'm going to give you authority over five cities in my kingdom. And then along comes the third servant. And now the third servant had taken a different approach, decided they weren't going to do what the king said. And the servant comes to him and he says, Master, here is your money. I kept it wrapped in this handkerchief uh, because I was afraid of you, because you are a hard man. You profit where you made no investment, and you harvest what you didn't sow. I don't think it's a great place to hide money, under a hanky, but in mind, that's what he did. And the king was not impressed at all. The king said, uh, the king said to him, you wicked scoundrel of a servant, because it was kind of an old-fashioned king, and used words like scoundrel. <laughs> and I think we should bring that back. <laughs> you scoundrel. And so the king... The king, he took that money that he'd given to the servant number three, and he gives it to the servant um, who'd made ten times more, the first servant, the servant who'd been faithful, the one that he could trust. And then, and then what about these, these citizens, the one that had hated the king, the, one that had, the ones that had sent a delegation after him saying, we don't want this man to be king? I mean, what would you do if you were a king? Okay, going back in time a bit, so going back a couple of thousand years, you were a king, you had people in your country that hated you so much that you didn't want them to be king. Well, this king, he, uh, he said, but as for these enemies of mine who didn't, want me to be, who didn't want me to be king over them, bring them here and slaughter them in front of me. 
he was harsh, but that's what he did. So the story might be familiar to some of you. <laughs> uh, it's a story that Jesus told. And you can find it in your Bible if you turn to uh, Luke chapter 19. And in your Bible, it might have a heading like the parable of the ten miners. Or miners. Miners, I don't know how you say it. I'm saying miners today. Uh, a miner in those days was a, was a unit of money. It was uh, One miner was the equivalent. So if you worked for four months and you were working six days a week for four months, it was, it was about that amount of money. But when you look at the story, it's, it's not really, like the main point of the story is not so much the miners, but about the king, and about the king returning and what the, what the servants and the citizens, um, what they'd done, how they'd, how they responded. So I wonder if it should actually be called the parable of the king and the servants. And it's this story that I want to dig into today. And because... Jesus told these stories, these parables, in order to reveal something about himself and something and, and about what he was up to, what he was up to in the world, so that his listeners, the people that were around him, could understand who he is and, and what he's about. So let's dig into it. And before we do, um, I think we ought to pray. Yeah, dear Lord, we thank you, thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you for, um, for what you've done for us, uh, and we thank you for the words in this book, in the, in the Bible, Lord, that you reveal yourself to us through these words. And I pray this morning that, um, that as I share uh, the, these things that I've prepared, that you would speak to, to our hearts this morning. God, we don't come to church for, for a superficial good, good feeling, but, but we come to meet with you, to meet with the source of life and, the, and truth. And so, Holy Spirit, we welcome you again to move in our midst and to speak to our hearts this morning. Amen. Amen. It's quite cool, eh? Like Wellington, I think, is one of the, not one of the best, it is the best city in the world. And you look out the windows today and it's a beautiful day and you can't imagine it any, being anything different. But last Sunday was not like this, if you remember. Last Sunday, bucketing down with rain, we went to lunch uh, at Bordeaux after, after the service and um, we got soaked just walking down the road to Bordeaux, pouring down with rain. And then on Tuesday, that southerly came through, one of Wellington's notorious southerlies. And uh, it was just so epic, wasn't it? So... Um, Pouring with rain, like a like blisteringly cold, is that a phrase? Ch- chillingly cold. Uh, the temperature, I remember one morning it said it was six. On Met, on Met service it said it was six, but felt like one. And there was a, like a, a wee slip that came down on State Highway 2 up near Petoni and caused a traffic jam from there all the way over to the eastern suburbs, I heard. Like two hours, people were stuck in traffic. That's Wellington, right? That's our, that's our city. Uh, and then, like suddenly, storms—they're just—they're quite exhilarating, aren't they? They're kind of like this, ah, this awesome life to them. And then, often, if you've lived in Wellington for a while, you kind of you kind of know that after a suddenly like that, there's usually going to be a, that's like a like a stunning day. There's going to be a cracker day coming up, and we had that. That was Friday, <laughs> just a beautiful day. Like, and often the southerly comes through, and it seems to clear the air. And so the day after the southerly is often like this beautiful, crystal clear day. You know what I mean, eh? Like, what other city in the world has has that? Anyway, and then you have that nice day, and then and then uh, normal services resume, and um, 
we had a, have a northerly coming through and so on. But we love it. We love it. I, I love it. I love this city. It's so brilliant. About this time last year, in uh, July last year, there was an article that popped up on Stuff, uh, on Stuff website, and it had this title that was um, "City with a Broken Heart," and uh, and that caught my attention. And it was about Civic Square and uh, the Wellington City Council building. And, uh, and then the central library and how all, all these spaces are out of action because of um, seismic issues that resulted from the Kaikoura earthquake a few years ago. And this article talked about like the, the town hall and the city to sea bridge and, and even Civic Square itself, how all these... You know, all these parts have seismic issues and like this is the broken heart of the city. City with a broken heart. And... And I read it and I go, yeah, our city does have a broken heart, uh, but I don't think that it's Civic Square and the City Council building and so on. That's not what I think of. When I think of, um, when I hear of like, the broken heart of the city, I think about the brokenness that I see uh, and experience in, uh, of people in our city. You know, We have a city of people that are searching for meaning, uh, searching for purpose, searching for hope, searching for peace. Um, and, and, and people search in places, um, search in places that will ultimately fail, um, searching for meaning uh, and money, uh, or security and money, searching for comfort, searching for happiness, um, satisfaction, attention, approval, you know, you can go on. I mean, these are things that I think all of us um, have a tendency towards. And, and so the article, going back to the article, it was about, well, the city council. I mean, we had this election last year for a council, and so it was about how the city council is going to solve the problem, is going to solve the problem, uh, going to fix the problems that we're facing. But, um, but guess what? You look at the city council of Wellington, and they're broken too. They can't, there's massive divisions in, in the Wellington city council. If you ever see the news, you go, man, they have an inability to make any, any decisions. I don't want to get. Um, Political at all, but, but there's massive polarization within the council, isn't there? And they kind of can't seem to find agreement. So, so then what? Well, we look, to, we look to the government and we go, the government's going to sort these problems out. Uh, the government's going to fix society and, and make it the way we think it should be. Uh, and then so we vote and we go, oh, I'm, I'm left-leaning, so I'm going to vote left, or I'm, I'm more center-left, so I'm going to vote center-left, or I've actually got a bang on in the middle, whatever that is. Uh, give you a clue, it's not act, they're not centre-centre, uh, or you vote centre-right, or you vote far-right, which is probably a bit more act-like, but um, guess what, the government's not going to solve it either, the government's also um, also fractured and broken, and I mean, I think the government's done a, they've done a stellar job with, um, with New Zealand's response to COVID, uh, COVID-19. But the, when it comes down to it, the government can't fix um, the problems of Wellington City, like those deep, those deep um, problems. The government can't fix Wellington's broken heart uh, because the government can't fix broken people. And, you, and you're here today, or you may be watching at home, and you're going, oh, James, what a buzzkill, bro. <laughs> you're bringing us all down, man. And or you might be sitting there going, "Well, what nonsense!" Actually, like the city's all good. The city's all good. It's not broken, and that's fine. 
Um, or you might think the city is broken, but the city council and the government or, um, or, or Facebook, Google and Apple, they can all come together and sort things out. And it's all going to be okay. But I think that my, my guess is that most of us would recognize that things aren't good and it's going to take a bit more than the government, the city council and um, multinational companies to, uh, to sort it out. I think that deep down, uh, we desire to see a city or a country or a world where instead of poverty, there's enough money and resources for all. I'm pretty sure that you'd feel the same way. Instead of inequality, we desire a world, a city, where there's equality, where everybody has an equal playing uh, field, no matter um, what gender they are, no, what, uh, no matter what, um, what country they come from, no matter what race, you know, all those sorts of things. We, we want equality. Instead of crime... People doing good deeds. I couldn't really think of an opposite to crime. So I'm thinking good deeds. Instead of people robbing somebody, you have people helping people out. Instead of injustice, we desire a world with justice. Instead of anxiety, we, we experience peace. Instead of depression, people filled with hope. Uh, instead of hate, uh, a world filled with love for others. Um, Instead of addiction like drug and alcohol or pornography addiction and so on, uh, people living in freedom. Instead of sickness, instead of pandemics, instead of cancer, instead of arthritis, uh, we experience wellness. People experience wellness and healing, and the list could go on. And I think if you, you ask anybody, um, they'd want the same kinds of things. And so we have this kind of distance between, to, between how things are, and, and we see it every day, between things are and how we, think, how we feel things should be, the way things should be. And the Bible has a word for the way things should be, how things should be, and it's called the kingdom. It's called the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is where where God's influence is felt. Uh, the kingdom of God is uh, where we experience God's loving order, God's uh, way of life, um, God's intention for humanity and for creation. And this is, this is what I think Wellington actually needs. So let's get back to the story that I told. Hopefully you can remember it, the story that Jesus told about the, about the ten miners, or I called it the king and his servants. That Jesus told the story about a rich man who goes away and he receives this kingdom and then he comes back, he's now the king, and he, when he returns, um, he, he asks the servants and the, or he asks the servants what's up, and then he slaughters the servants, the citizens. Jesus told this story to reveal, uh, to reveal what he was about, what he, who he was, and what he was about. And when you look at a story in the Bible, um, it's always a good idea to kind of get a feel for um, what's happening, what's the context, what's happening in the in the narrative, what's happening around around the story on both sides, and. Uh, so I said before that this parable is in uh, the book of Luke, chapter 19, and we can see what's happening when we look at 19, uh, chapter 19. Jesus is um, in Jericho. 
how far below sea level was Jericho, Matt? Do you remember? We were talking about it yesterday. 250. 250 below sea level. 250 metres below sea level. Um, anyway, <laughs> sorry, Matt. Um, I've lost my, lost my um, point in the page. Jesus is in Jericho, below sea level, and he's about to head to Jerusalem. And he's just been hanging out with one of society's outcasts, uh, a tax collector, a short tax collector by the name of Zacchaeus. Uh, tax collectors, if, uh, if you don't know, tax collectors were outcasts because they were seen as, as people that were colluding with the enemy. So uh, for Jewish people of the day, the enemy was Rome and tax collectors were colluding with Rome. Um, and then they would also uh, cream a bit of money off for themselves. So it wasn't just that they were colluding with the enemy, they were also um, thieving scoundrels, right? They were scoundrels. They stole from people. And here Jesus is hanging out with this guy, Zacchaeus. But Zacchaeus, after meeting with Jesus and after hearing, hearing Jesus, he totally changed. He saw his sin and he repented. And he, he calls Jesus Lord. You can read this in Luke chapter 19. He calls Jesus Lord. And then he gives half of everything he had to the poor. And he repaid everybody that he stole from. And he didn't just repay them what he'd stolen. He says to Jesus that um, I will repay four times what I've stolen. So instead of being a thief, he became a benefactor. And then, and then the people questioned Jesus. They questioned Jesus. And they're like, why are you hanging out with this sinner? Why are you hanging out with a, with a, a tax collector? Of all people. And then Jesus says, Today salvation has come into this house. I've probably got this on the screen actually. Oh, can you put that up, Sam? The PowerPoint? Yep. Oh, cool. Here we go. So, today salvation has come into this house, since he also is a son of Abraham, which is a long winded way of saying he was a Jew since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Salvation had come into the house of Zacchaeus. He recognized that Jesus was Lord and he, and he completely changed from being a thief to being a benefactor. Instead of crime, good deeds. And then you look at the words of Jesus and he goes, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. He's calling himself the Son of Man. Which is a bit of a funny phrase, isn't it? Like, of course you are, Jesus. You're, you're a human being. But, but it has this really profound meaning. It's a totally loaded phrase, son of man. And it goes back to the Old Testament book of Daniel. Yeah, Daniel. What did you say? Yeah, everybody said Daniel. Who I wrote about in the CV News yesterday. If you get that email. If you don't get that email, uh, you're missing out. I think. Anyway, Daniel uh, was kidnapped, and he was he was a uh, he was taken from uh, his home in Jerusalem, and he was trafficked to Babylon, where he became a slave, and he was a slave in the king for the king. And all this is going on. It's this really strange book, actually. Daniel is a, it's only ten chapters in it, 
there's a whole lot of action, a whole lot of stuff that's really great for um, for children's stories and, and so on. But but then it kind of gets quite freaky because he has these these visions of uh, well of pretty strange stuff. But but it boils down to these visions were about kings and kingdoms coming and going and and visions that um, concern the near the near future as well as the distant future, like hundreds or thousands of years down the track. And and in these visions, um, Daniel. Daniel kept on seeing somebody that he'd refer to as being the Son of Man. The Son of Man. And, and the Son of Man was somebody that was with God, uh, the Ancient of Days. And the Son of Man was somebody who would bring justice and peace uh, for the world. So it's the title of a king. It's the title of a king of an, eter- an, an eternal and indestructible kingdom. And so Jesus, he takes this title and... He gives it to himself, son of man. So hold that thought. Because then it says, As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell them a parable, because he was near to Jerusalem, and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. So the background is, he's called himself the son of man, like this kingly title, and he's telling this parable because they think that the kingdom of God, which I've kind of already talked about, was about to appear immediately. So it kind of leads to the conclusion that this parable, this story Jesus told, is, is about himself. He's the king in the story. And he's not just any king. He's this king that Daniel had prophesied uh, hundreds of years earlier, the king that people had been waiting for. And so this is cool. If you look at the prophecy in Daniel, I love it. I'll just read it. I saw in the night visions. Isn't that a cool phrase? <laughs> I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came like there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and, and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. He's a pretty epic king, right? This king. All peoples, all nations, all languages are going to serve him. Uh, That's everybody. (laughs) And not only that, but his kingdom lasts forever. Forever and ever. It's an everlasting kingdom. Jesus is this king. Jesus is the king that returns home in the parable. So what happens after the parable? <laughs> we looked at before, what happens afterwards? Afterwards, uh, it says Jesus, he sets his face towards Jerusalem. Um, how far away was Jerusalem from Jericho? 20 k's? 20 k's. Jerusalem, I've talked about this before. Jerusalem is 750 meters above sea level. Jericho is 250 meters below sea level. So, and it's 20 kilometers away. So anyway, he's on his way to Jerusalem. And when he gets to, uh, when he gets to Jerusalem, Jesus enters the city riding on a donkey as people cried out, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. This is in Luke 19.38. So all of this... All of this is in one chapter in Luke. We have Jesus calling himself the Son of Man. 
this kingly title. We, we, we know that he's telling this parable, this story um, about the kingdom of God, and then afterwards he, he rides into Jerusalem as the king. It's all in this one chapter. Jesus connects himself with these Old Testament prophecies and Jewish expectations of, uh, of a king, um, of God himself. The Ancient of Days would return to Zion or Jerusalem, and he would, he would establish from there his rule and his reign. That's cool. And this really is the good news. This is the, this is the gospel, um, the announcement of the king and his kingdom. And, and why is it good news? It, it's good news because the king and his kingdom, uh, the, it's all these things that we really want. That I said before, like in, instead of injustice, we want justice. Instead of inequality, we want equality. Instead of hate, we want love. This is why it's the good news. It's the king and his kingdom. His kingdom is what our city needs. Jesus alone can heal our broken hearts. And then Jesus enters the city, and this is like the best thing of all for us, because by the end of that, of that week uh, that he entered Jerusalem, he, um, he was crucified on the cross, and he took upon himself our sin, the sin that causes a, an impossible distance between, between us and God. He took, he took upon himself our sin so that we could be robed in righteousness and come into reconciliation, uh, a healing reconciliation with God. We can be reconciled with God if we come under the king's rule and reign. Jesus is the king. In uh, Tereo Māori, there's a, there's a word for door, for entrance, or for gateway that I really like. I just like to say it. And it's, this word is kuaha. Kuaha. And if the son of man, if this king, if he comes knocking on your kuaha, or the kuaha of your heart, how do you respond? I've been thinking about this so much this year. How do I open the kuaha? I just like saying it. Kuaha. Kuaha. It's got a macron over the U. How do I open the the kuaha of my heart? Or thinking about our city, about the city that we love. Or you might be from another city. This is the city that you love. How can I, how can we be, be a, a kuaha for Jesus and his kingdom in our city? So I think this is where this parable uh, is really awesome to look at. So let's look at what happened. The king, when the king returned. When the king returned, there were three main ways that people, people responded. There were, there were the citizens, remember them? They hated him. Hated his guts, didn't want him to rule over them. They actively opposed his kingship. They probably wanted this, the good stuff of his kingdom, but they didn't want him to be king. And one way that we can respond to the king is just don't welcome him. Be like these citizens. Um, but I've got to warn you, when the king judged them, the citizens were, put it nicely, they were sentenced to death. So we, like we just don't we don't really like thinking about judgment, do we? We don't really like thinking about the judgment of God. But I just want to throw in a couple of thoughts about this. Uh, the, the first one is that if if God is the Creator uh, and the source of all life, then being separated from Him or turning our backs on Him means that we are separating separating ourselves from from life, which means which means death. 
which brings death. Rejecting the king of life leads away from life and leads to death. The judgment of God removes what leads to death and destruction. So the judgment of God is, um, it restores the life that God had purposed, what his meaning was. That's my first point. The second is that Jesus entered Jerusalem uh, as the returning king. But by the end of the week, his enemies, the citizens, the ones that hated him, uh, they were mocking, beating, humiliating, and murdering him. He was the one that was slaughtered. And as he's dying on the cross, uh, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know for they know not what they do. And again, this is such good news for us, because he's praying for us. Father, forgive them. Well, that was the citizens that hated them. That was one way you can respond, is going, nah, forget it, Jesus, I don't want you to be my king. Servant number three. Servant number three responded by hiding the money under a hanky of all places. Like, come on, bro. If you're going to hide money, not under a hanky. I'm not going to hide my credit card under a hanky. Although, to be honest, it's probably a really good place to hide it, right? You're probably not going to find it again. Anyway, he, the servant three hid the money away and didn't do anything with it. They said that they were afraid of the king. But they just didn't trust the king. And they, and they actually ignored his instructions. And for this, they were condemned. Um, they didn't do the job that they were hired to do. It's just an illustration. But um, I, uh, most of you know that I work um, part of my week. I'm employed by Capital Vineyard Church. And then part of the week, I'm employed by Victoria University. And for both of those jobs, I have a credit card. And uh, and the credit card so I can do my job, so I can um, spend money on the things that I need for my job. The credit card's not for me. It doesn't become uh, my money that I can spend on myself. It's not so that I can go out and and buy, um, I don't know, a Mercedes or something. Um, and it's, and it's, it's they also didn't give it to me so that I didn't spend any money. I need, you know, the point is um, the, the king gave the servant money. It's not for the servant. It's for the servant to do his job. And he didn't do it. He just ignored the king. And so one way we, we can respond to the king is just ignore him. Don't do what he says. And then we come to the servants uh, one and two, the first two servants who got it right, because these, these guys, they model how to welcome the king, how to be a kuaha, how to be a gateway for the king into the city, because they listened to what he said, and they honored him, and they trusted him. And so in return, the king honors them and entrusts them with more. He, he knows he can trust them. If he, if he, he, he can trust them with 10 miners, or 10 times 4 months of uh, money, then he can entrust them with more. So for the first servant, if you remember, uh, he was entrusted with 10 uh, ten miners, and in return he was uh, given authority over 10 cities. In the book of Revelation, uh, verse 20, Jesus says to the churches, 
Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The king in the story that I've told is Jesus and the, and the servants and the citizens are the people, the people he's talking to, the people of Israel and, and others. So what are the miners? What's this, uh, what's this money? What's this whole money business? What is it that the king entrusts to his servants? Well, in that moment, Jesus talking talking to Jewish people, um, Israelites, who way back in history had entered this uh, covenant with God, like a, a really unique, uh, legally binding relationship and agreement with God. And God had given them um, the law, so the Ten Commandments and the law and, and ways of um, doing life, uh, living as a society and worshipping worshiping God, how to do all of that. The purpose... The purpose of Israel, what they were called to do, was to be a light for the nations so that other people would see them, see what God was doing uh, in their nation and be drawn to it, to also be drawn to, to God. And, and instead, uh, Israel, if you read the stories in the Old Testament, they squandered that purpose. They broke the, the covenant time and time again. They kept on breaking the covenant and were unfaithful to God, you know, just as we are often. And so in that sense, like the servant who hid the, the miners, who hid that money under a handkerchief is like, is like the people of Israel. They took what God had given, they took this purpose uh, and everything he'd given them and instead just hid it away. This parable, I think it also has a, has a prophetic meaning. It speaks, um, it speaks into our time today. It speaks to us. So what has God given us? He's given us Jesus. He's given us, through Jesus, he's given us the gift of, of eternal life. Eternal life in relationship with God himself, the God, the transcendent God of the universe. He's given us the Holy Spirit, the, the third person of the Trinity, the, the breath of God that he, that he blew uh, upon the church 2,000 years ago. He's given us... He's given us our Bibles. These words from God, from, from the King, from the King of Kings. And it's in, this, and it's in the Bible that we can, we can find out what are the instructions of the King for us today. In our home group, this week, I should actually say it's uh, Tess's, but it's in my place and I've been to it. Twice. <laughs> uh, we looked at this passage in, in 1 Peter 3. Uh, this is just an example of the king's instructions. 1 Peter 3.10 says, Whoever desires to love life and see good days, I think that's probably all of us, we all desire to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him, I should say him and her, Turn away from evil and do good. Let him and her seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. 
Man, this is just one short passage in the whole of the Bible, and it speaks so clearly the Lord's, the King's instructions to us about how to live, how to do life. And it's, so it's really simple, and really not. It's really simple, welcoming the King or, or opening the kuha of our heart and, and being a gateway for Jesus in our city means, uh, first of all, it means like acknowledging that He is the King. That he is the king. That he is God. And, and it also means trusting him. Trusting that he is a good king. That he is a loving king. And then, and then doing what he says. And then doing what he says. We can trust in King Jesus. And we don't, you know, the, um, the third servant in the story, they said that, that they were afraid of the king. Because the king, you're a harsh man. They said, they were afraid of him, but we don't have to be afraid of Jesus and because we know that he loves us. He, he died for us on the cross. So instead, we can be like the first two servants, receiving the gift of life and everything else that Jesus has given us and engaging with business with it. Like somehow like shifting it from being uh, all for us or... Um, all for our benefit, but actually for the uh, what he's given us for the for the benefit of of his business, which is kingdom expansion, uh, trusting and following in the lead of Jesus to to partner with him in in his kingdom expansion in our city or in our homes in our communities in our in our country in Aotearoa. An old fella called John Wimber said that faith is spelled R I S K. Because he couldn't smell. He couldn't smell. Because he couldn't spell. He was a Californian. He couldn't spell. No, faith is spelled R-I-S-K. And, and he meant that uh, faith is spelled risk. Meaning that if, if, if we believe that it's actually true, then we're actually going to take steps. We're going to risk ourselves uh, with what we have been given uh, and, and use it for the king's business. <laughs> Sorry, John Wimber, if you're listening to me. I'm sure you could smell. And spell. So it kind of just leaves us with, with some questions. A few questions for you and for me. Will we trust? Will we trust and obey the king? It sometimes just helps to think about the, the kingdom that he, that he offers, eh? and to think about all the, the good things of the kingdom of God. And then to think, to think about if he really is the king, like who we sang about this morning, the fullness of God, that song that you introduced, Anna, eh? like, like hearing Jesus' voice is hearing God. If we really, like if we think about that and, and like let that, let that fill our hearts and our minds. And in that, sort of, in that process, will we trust in him? Will we trust that his words are actually True. Will we trust him with the, with the gift of, of life and in, in all kinds of capacities that he has given us? It just seems to apply to everything. In the story, it was money. And I, and I think in some, and for us, it applies to money as well. Um, but it, it applies to all parts, of, all parts of life. How do we trust him? How do we trust him with what he's given us? Do we want to be people that Jesus says to, well done, 
good and faithful servant. Because we've been faithful, we've done the job that he's given us. Uh, Or are we too afraid? Are we afraid of the king? Are we afraid of others? Do we... (laughs) I say we because... Well, I can't speak for you. I can speak for myself. Do I, do I desperately protect what I have? Uh, my, <laughs> do I desperately, desperately protect my possessions or my money or um, what people think about me? Do we, try to, do we try to hide what he's entrusted to us under a flimsy handkerchief? Oh, man. I don't, we don't want to be like that. Don't want to be like that. But that's the question. There's a third way too, and it's to go, do we reject the king himself? We go, Lord Jesus, your kingdom sounds pretty good, but I don't want you to be king. We want the kingdom without the king. That's the third way. Anyway, you might be here today going, that's all nonsense, James. Um, but thanks for the entertainment. Or you might be here today going, James, that, that actually sounds really interesting. I'd love to hear more about, um, about Jesus and, and this person you say is the king of the universe. And if that's you, then I'd love to better talk with you afterwards and, um, and introduce you to the king. Um, or, you, or you might be sort of like feeling, um, I don't know, like the, the Holy Spirit just bringing stuff to mind um, and like drawing you in to to a future of um, welcoming the king into your kuaha, <laughs> through the kuaha of your heart, being a kuaha for the king in the, in the, in the city. Eh? Anyway, why don't you stand and, stand and, um, and we'll pray. You know, one of the really, really cool things about all this is it doesn't come down to us. It's all about the king. The, the miners, the money, it's, it's about what the king does. So it's like part of this thing is like, let, like letting go of, our, of ourselves and trusting in the king. So let's invite the Holy Spirit to, to do what the king does. Lord, thank you for you. Thank you that you are the king, that you are the, you're the, you're the son of man, the, the one that uh, is in the presence of the ancient of days of, of God. You're the son of man, the, the king of an eternal and just mind-blowingly wonderful, incredible kingdom that has all these characteristics and things that we really hope for. You are that king, Lord Jesus. You are that king. And you have come once, and you will return again. And I, and I pray for myself, and I pray for everyone here, that, um, and everybody that's at home that's listening, that uh, we, would, we would respond like the, the first two servants, that we would trust you, that we would uh, obey you, and we would um, use what you've given us uh, for your business, for your purposes. Lord Jesus, the Holy Spirit, would you, would you move in our hearts even now as, as we're standing here? Like transform us or um, fill us with hope of your goodness. Help, help us to see you. Help us to see your face as we sang this morning. Help us to see your face and to hear your voice. Lead us into the, into the goodness that you have for us and for our city. Pray for Wellington, our city that has a broken heart. I pray for the kingdom expansion in your city, for um, 
uh, instead of poverty, that there would be enough for all. Instead of injustice, there would be justice. Instead of hate, there would be love. Instead of sickness, wellness. Pray for healing, Lord, for our city. And we do. We pray for a council. We pray for the government, Lord, that, uh, that your wisdom would, um, would come through in the decisions they make. But we welcome you, Holy Spirit. Come and have your way. And we bless your holy name, Jesus. Because you are the king on the throne. Amen.